to another episode of our conversation on Giants and Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. What? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> you thought we were, you know, done just because we covered all the true giants and we'd stop drinking wine? Absolutely not. We're oh, back. <laughs> we are back. For, so, for those of you who don't know, my name is Megan and joining me for this series is a legendary Casey. And this episode is going to mark our departure from the true giants to start discussing giant kin. Woohoo! <laughs> so excited to be back. I know. It's been a while. It's been a hot. It's been a hot minute. Hot take. Hot uh-huh. everything. So we are going to keep working our way down the power scale, more or less. Um, what that means is that even though some of the giants we'll be talking about in the next few episodes aren't strictly from the Forgotten Realms, you can get a feel for where they would land in the Ordning if you started to play with some homebrew. Um, this episode is going to focus on some of the oldest themes of real-world giant lore in Western mythology and then look at some of the giants of other campaign settings that have clearly been, clearly been inspired by those old legends. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, before we, like, hop right into it, um, what do you know about, like, Greek lore? Right. I, like, Disney Hercules is, like, the first thing that comes to mind. It kind of counts. <laughs> um, love it. Can't help but love that show. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> I actually, I admit, I did take classical mythology as an elective in university, um, which I really wish I remembered more for this series, but, um, I do remember it being very interesting and one of my favorite electives at the time, but we won't say how long ago it was, but it was a while ago. Um, and I thought like this, the stories around Zeus battling giants or other monsters was like one of the most interesting things to read about and learn about. And, like, there's so many movies now that cover and put their own sometimes terrible spins on the the stories from um, Greek mythology. So that's also entertaining. That's fair. That's how I think lots of people learn, actually, about the history. Yeah, and then you always get those buffs that, like, actually read the history, like, that wasn't quite accurate. And you're like, who cares, man? It was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's like every time I watch the movie 300. I don't give a shit how inaccurate and, like, <laughs> yeah. like daddy buff men just fighting other daddy buff men. I'm like, what is wrong with this? There's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with like, this. Like, the priority was the six or eight packs and just as many as possible in every shot. Absolutely. There's a lot of tits and ass in that one, too. So really we're not was. discriminating in any way, shape, or form. No. But absolutely. Great, great, great stuff. I did take a an art history class. When I was in art school, we did a lot of art history. So I know a lot of stupid shit about art. And, like... <laughs> there, There is a lot of art yeah. to, like... Uh, Appreciate. Yeah. Respectfully. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, <laughs> there is a lot of art, oh, Megan. Thank you. Thanks, Casey, for your anecdote. <laughs> There's lots of art out there. <laughs> but they used art to, like... Remind people and actually get the stories correct, mm, like yeah. the inscriptions and the stonework and like the vases and and they use the vases, the vases. <laughs> oh my god, we're at a good start. Spicy tonight. <laughs> Those are Hercules reference, you know. <laughs> yes. Slap Zero the space zero. on every vase. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not gonna go that high, but you know, you know where I'm going with that. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, um, I know that you guys are probably going to say, why are we doing this? But we're actually going to crack open a bottle of wine, which is tradition for us. 
Yeah. Before we uh, dig into some great things. So Casey, tell us, what do we have today? Oh boy. Um, We are going to uh, Ravenswood. Ravens. Lots of reference. We did talk about like Greek lore, but now we're jumping into like Norse lore. So (laughs) I mean, it fits all in the same area, right? Yes. No. Yes. No. Sure. Yes. And it's very mythological looking and it's delicious. So we have... bottle does look very pretty. It does. It has a very, very nice label and that sells it a lot of the time for me. Yeah. For those concerned, it's about a $20 bottle of wine. Yeah, Yeah. it is. Um, It was on sale. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And it is. What is it? It's a 2019 Old Vine Zinfandel from the States. We're going to the States today. What a good good year. Good year. Let me just pour you some there. Thanks, Brando. Mm. Love that sound. It's my favorite. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, it's a lot sweeter than I thought it was going to be. I guess because it's a Zinfandel, it would be. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. I don't hate it. It's good. Easy drinking. Very easy drinking. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so forgive me, I've lost my glasses, so. Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to bump up my font. <laughs> I can hold it over here for you if you want. <laughs> no, because I it's actually have to hold it, like, up to my face. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, honestly, let's uh, dig into a couple of really interesting things about, like, Greek, Norse, Roman, like, all that kind of, like, historical thing, and kind of how they tie a little bit into our giant worlds here. Um, and it's funny that you act- mentioned asking about Hercules and does it count? You know, it kind of does. But I would like to make a point off right and to say, I'm not a historian. Um, I just read things. Uh, so feel free to come at me in the comments, because I won't care. <laughs> <laughs> but I would like to take a moment to just briefly remind that Greek and Roman mythology tends to be pretty similar, um, just because of the areas in which they come from. Uh, sometimes they use you they have a similar breakdown of gods and goddesses, X, Y, Z. The stories do change and alter a little bit based on who married who and did what, who hurt who, you know, right. like that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, but it is quite similar. So I'm going to go more into like a Greek Roman era and then I'm going to jump into Norse. Um, so in Greek mythology, you can kind of be referred to as the gigantis. Is how I like to say that word. And I'm like, you can't see me, but my hands are in a very. <laughs> yes. It's, it's per- up, per- appropriate. Very much yeah. so. Um, <clears throat> which is what they consider to be a large tribe of um, giants that were born uh, from Gaius and Uranus. Um, they were thought to have had like inhuman features. And then were trapped in the center of Gaia, which is the world, uh, by their father. And among these children were three very specific children called Hecatonic Heres. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, they all they have individual names, but basically the name of the three of them means the hundred-handed. Um, which is very indicative to the hundred-handed ones that we'll kind of talk about when we get into Theros. Yeah. I I feel it does kind of go with saying that the the Odysseys of Theros are heavily branded with god mythologies. In fact, the god listing is Greek and Roman gods. So, like, your patrons, like, whenever you're, like, you're picking whoever you're you're worshipping or what have you, it'll probably be a Greek-represented god in right. that book, right? Anyways, so after many attempts, um, Zeus does finally, like, free those giants, and they become the first race, basically, of giants, who did actually prove to be quite useful and lived in peace and harmony, all those good things. But then there's a second round of children that were born, and they would prove to be a heck of a lot more violent and actually raged war on Mount Olympus. Right. Um, then they were, of course, banished and thwarted by Zeus, and their burial is what caused the earthquakes of the world and all of those calamitous things, right? Mm-hmm. And then 
This kind of actually reminded me for a hot second of the stone giants and how, mm-hmm. like, their bodies became, like, when they died, they went to a burial ground and became their own tombstone. Yeah. That kind of just, like, gave me a little flash of that kind yeah. of background. So I don't know if they meant to tie that into that, but that's just all I could think of in my head was, like, when they trapped them, they became part of the earth, right? I mean, the earth, the earth is their mother, basically, yeah, right? Yeah, makes sense. It seems like stone giants actually pop up more than any, like, or have a reference to stone giants and their history and, like, their art. they were the artists as well. Yeah. It pops up more frequently it does. than any other one. Very true, very true. Um, but then it moves on to where Guy's last attempt was throwing the Typhon at, uh, Zeus, which is the, the giant dragon thing, what have you. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the most epic battles, I think. Yeah, but yeah. that's where, like, the, your Hercules comes into play. Yeah. Um, and that big story and, you know, mm-hmm. wanting to sing I Can Go the Distance whenever you really feel like it. <laughs> I think the new thing is we're gonna have to find a Disney reference for every episode we do now. It probably won't be hard now. That's true. <laughs> I can go the distance. (laughs) But that's kind of the basics of, like, where giants came from when it comes to Greek mythology. There are, of course, like, little small stories that people can tie into, and especially when we get into the books of Theros and the books of Ravnica and things that are heavily tied into mythology, we'll see some more specific characters and name drops happening as we Mm -hmm. kind of go through them. But let's talk a little bit more about the Norse. Mm-hmm. This is where I shine a little bit more. And the only reason why I shine here a little bit more is because I love frost giants. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they call the giant, their giant race is called Jotner or um, Jotun, which is the, the type of their, their, their people's name. So unlike the giants of the Greek mythology where, you know, there was nothing but war and hatred, the Jotner were actually a little bit different. They start off with harmony with the gods. So they started off in a harmonious way. In fact, they were married into families and they just existed together. So there are some myths and legends that say that giants in Norse mythology were huge. And there are other myths and legends that say that, no, they were just regular people with really good strength, right? Mm -hmm. So they were actually intermingled within the the world. There was no separation between them, but they were part of the first race. Cool. So Ymir is the father of giants. um, And again, they're thought to be the first race, which... um, Kind of bodes and ties into the D&D history of giants as well. Like, if we remember from our first couple of episodes, the big thing about giants was that they existed at the time of dragons, which was the first race that existed. So they're one of the oldest races. And that they, their big thing in life is to reclaim their fame and fortune of being these barbarous, amazing creatures. Right. right? So that's kind of the feel that I get from more the Norse side as well. I see. that's one of their goals. Because... Um, but now that I say that, because like how they were intermingled, a big piece of thing that people don't really realize is that um, it's even thought that Odin himself was birthed from a Jotun. Um, so his bloodline is technically actually part god, part Jotun. So for people that recognize names like Thor, Loki, XYZ, they're technically part giant. Cool. Um, Love it. Yeah, right? But it was Odin and his brothers that did eventually slay Ymir, which is what caused the final tension to happen between the giants um, and the gods. So again, now a war between gods and giants ensues. Common theology, like, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, um, the war was kind of lost and thwarted, and the Jotuns actually made home in a place called Jotunheim, which is very familiar. People <laughs> know that name all over the place. Um, but it is a place where the winter never ends. So this, to me, just ties right into be where frost giants come from. Yeah. Same concept, right? Um, another key historical thing, obviously, in Norse mythology is the Ragnarok, which is the official war of the Jotun wanting to end the world and to start it anew. 
and the gods are fighting to basically stop that from happening. And then, like, another, like, weird tie-in, and I think we talked about it in one of our episodes, was, you were Thrym from way, way, way back. He was the, the titan that was worshipped by the Frost Giants. Yes. Yeah. So, um, Thrym actually exists in North Mythology as the person who um, steals Thor's hammer. So, like, all these, again, all these names will pop up <laughs> in different places yep. in D&D as in, well, as in, like, the history. Like, it's... It's very interesting how neatly tied they... I feel like it's one of those things where they knew they couldn't just use a name and then use a storyline because people in the world would be like, fuck you, that's Hercules. And you didn't call him Hercules, you called him Joseph. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I feel like they're just like, nah, let's just fuck it. Let's just like... I mean, don't get me wrong. They had to use Magic the Gathering because that's where that comes from. But anyways, I digress. (laughs) I just think it's really, really neat. Fun fact. Yep. But I think there's something to be said that there's a giant, there's a, a continued like theme with giants when it comes to in history and the what we use them for in D and D, and a lot of it is is that they're an older race that is trying to bring themselves back up from the ground and like become like what they once were because they were one of the first to exist, right? Yes, and they will fight to do that against other races, but then also within the ordning. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it's just forever. But like it's so strange that like even within the ordning, as we've discussed, they understand the ordning exists for a purpose. Like they're not yeah. fighting each other because of a placement that they have within the ordning. They accept their placement in the ordning. Yeah. They so, may not like it. But they accept <laughs> so, it. Yeah. And they're just like, yeah, that it 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 is what it is. Mm-hmm. It'll be what it'll be, right? Yeah. So And then they try to be the best in their place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the goal is that you become the best within your placement within your ordning. Yeah. Is the thing. But no. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Way more ties than I ever realized before diving in. Well, and that's series. the thing. I was never big on um like did you use have you used um like the like the book of Theros and like the book of um or Ravnica even? Like have you ever used any of them? No. 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 Yeah. Brand new, looked all, looking into it now. Um what and but I loved it. Like I it just I think yeah, it reminded me what I learned in school and just shows and stuff. It's like, ah, uh, this is cool. I think it's a little bit easier, and this is going to be a little bit of a DM tip. Um, I'm not very good at D&D lore. I'm not very good at it. I'll read it, and I enjoy it, and I'll use bits and pieces of it here and there in little, like, areas of storylines that I make. But I'm not too into it because there's way too much. Mm -hmm. And my brain can't wrap around it for long periods of time. So I found that reading Theros, Ravnica, um, yeah, like, any of those, like, other books that kind of, like, pull from storylines that you may have heard from your childhood... Yeah. Or have learned in school or saw in a movie. It almost makes it a little bit easier because you have a visual. I'm a visual person. Yeah. So too. so when I read these and like hear these stories, I do think of Hercules. And I mm-hmm. think of the types of characters that you run into in Hercules. And yeah, I would love to make a satyr yeah. that's just a dickwad, but it's going to help <laughs> you and be your quest giver. You know what I mean? Yes. So. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that. I completely agree. I I think that's probably why I got excited looking into this. I was like, oh yeah, I'm very happy we're covering this. It, yeah, it's relatable, and I think, um, well, we'll get into more of it, too, but I I do think it can grab more people to try D&D. Like, if, say, you had new players and you picked this as the campaign, it would be more relatable than yeah. something that's just, just way off and non-relatable. Yeah, it gives you those recognizable heroes, right? Yep. Like, because, like, I, when we get into it, like, we're going to talk about the gods, we're going to talk about the heroes, we're going to talk about some of those big, big, bad, evil guys that are just going to be familiar and a little bit more mainstream mm-hmm. and more westernized. So it does make it a little bit easier for us to absorb, grasp, and be able to play within that world. So, yep. anyways, talk to me about yep. Theros, Casey. 
Theros, yep, I'm fired up. It's so good. Yeah? <laughs> it's like, do I buy this book? I'm on like a buy book buy a D&D book buying like spiel and I 100% blame Adam. It's his fucking fault. So I'm going into massive debt. <laughs> yeah. But whatever. It's, it's so good. Um, yeah. Like, gods, heroes, monsters, ancient Greece-inspired world. Like, even as a DM, I think it would be so fun. And as a player character, just, yeah. Mm-hmm. So much fun to be had. Right. Um, so Theros is where your dreams are likely come to come true. Um, it has what is known as metaphysical properties where... Mortals have believed and dreamed the heroes, gods, and monsters, and anything that comes with that, into existence. Yeah. So that's where they come from, is just dreams, but also nightmares, which we'll talk about later. Oh my god. <laughs> it's like the, it's not all good. Um, and so it's like that, the power of the collective unconscious create created all that resides in Theros. Um, and the more that they were believed, the more the gods were able to become a mortal form and actually, like, then walk amongst the, the people in Theros. Okay. And so, essentially, it was like, <laughs> it was, it was like the gods of Theros and the devotion that the mortals had to them would gain them traction and uh like more followers <laughs> all i can think about is like tinkerbell tinkerbell no, no, no. <laughs> tinkerbell <laughs> yes like if you or fairies in general if you don't believe shit goes will down die. yes <laughs> yeah, it is it's exactly that and then like champions and heroes uh come into play and they have a close tie with the gods and so the existence of champions and heroes to the mortals even more enforced the belief in that god that they might be following. Yeah. So it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, you see it, you believe it, right? Visual people. Exactly. Yeah. And so got like champions and heroes could have divine abilities and they would carry out tasks set out by the gods. Or they might be not in the gods' good graces and be cursed, which, yeah, there's lots of... <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so either way, their existence further gives mortals the belief in the gods themselves and bolsters the gods' um, like power and influence in the realm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I keep thinking of Hercules. It's it, going to be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it really, like, it touches on a lot of the pieces of Greek mythology, including fate. Like the fates are in the yeah. I love them too. I just remember the eyeballs. The eyeball, like the, the, the <laughs> passing then, the eyeball around and then the string. Yeah, and yeah, then the, cool. the gnarly, like, giant scissors. It's like, ah. Yeah. So pivotal, <laughs> those moments. Um, but the fates, generally, if if some, if one of our listeners has not heard of them, is a trio of women with divine abilities and they hold the predetermined outcomes of life for all mortals or semi-mortals. So they hold the their life like thread. Their life thread, yeah. 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 Um, and heroes attempt to change their fate that the fates have have told them if mm-hmm. they've gone to seek them out. Um, destiny, however, is another angle, and um, destiny are strands spun from the hair of God Clothis. Clothis. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say Clothis. Um, don't come at me. But, Y'all come at her. <laughs> <laughs> um, so similar, like, the, the fate thread or the thread of their life um, 
but it isn't a predetermined path like fate. It's more of a telling of the way things are or will be, but there could be several ways that you get to that ending. Yeah. So you kind of get, this is what's going to happen, but you can control or change how you get there. Yeah, it's objective. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so both gods and mortals are bound to it, and so that's another big difference between, like, the fates um, and fate. And uh, what that makes it more interesting because gods then attempt to change it because that's one thing that they are controlled by. Mm-hmm. So it's like they go against it. Yeah. Um, so when they attempt to change destiny, as you can imagine, things go wrong and there's consequences Oh, because they're going to do it in the worst way possible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're going to try and elicit, like, any monsters under their control or, um, or, like, other champions or heroes that they have to try and do it for them. And yeah, it's just going to be a mess. So yeah, as you've mentioned, many listeners are going to recognize aspects of Magic the Gathering um, in kind of this, this type of series in these these books. Yeah. Um, and it also could be a great segue for younger kids who are in love with like Percy Jackson uh, to gain interest in D&D uh, because they will like we talked about, recognize a lot of the names. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of fucked up. That the <laughs> Tell me how it's fucked up, Casey. <laughs> because, like, yeah, I... There is a lot of horrible things that happen in Greek and Roman mythology and in Norse mythology as oh, well, yeah, of 100%, course. yeah. Like, there's rape, there's incest, there's murder, um, and sometimes murder in the entertainment industry, yeah. in the storylines. And so... (laughs) Some real Game of Thrones shit. Yeah, so, uh, like, as much as it would be cool to use Greek mythology to bring, like, like kids uh, into the D&D world and study it, it's like, when does that kind of (laughs) history come out? Because Percy Jackson, like... Like, my nieces and nephews love it yeah. so much. And so they probably know more history than I do. But it's weird. But from a PG-13 standpoint. Yeah. yeah. you got to really think about that. It's very true. Yeah. I feel like if you were going to do a campaign that was very heavily, like, bleeding Greek, Roman, or, like, Norse mythology, it would be a day zero conversation of how deep down the rabbit hole shall we go? Yeah. And or are we doing the Disney Hercules version versus Yeah. The actual like wear of lion skin Hercules. You know? Yeah. So Yeah, because it can go it can go sideways, which can be incredibly fun and be like that dark campaign with all the things, you know disclaimers included at the start of every session oh hey man but but it was it was god of war that got me into greek mythology way way back when i was a kid and um i should not have been playing that video game (laughs) when i was a child um i played it like i replay them every year uh the new one's coming out and um well the new one is out sorry timelines are hard um but they're now into norse mythology so like the character actually bled from one to the other Oh. And so it's actually been kind of like a mind trip and a mind fuck because like you're you're you were so immersed with this character being a part of the Zeus Olympian oh. like fighting system and then now all of a sudden he is a part of the Ragnarok. You know what I mean? So it's like a an interesting mind kerfuckery. But like there's there is there's a lot of sex, there's a lot of boobs, there's a lot of <laughs> 
It's a lot of good stuff in there. But, like, you, I'm not going to let my child play that game. Yeah. I'd let them watch Hercules, for sure. Yep. But, yeah. It's, yeah, it is interesting to try and figure out where that line is bled, but I think in the reference of D&D, it's that day zero conversation. Yeah. Do you want something more pertaining and realistic, or do you want just want the fluff kind of game, right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. The biggest thing in... <laughs> Tell me more about the biggest thing in Greek history and or whatever, wherever you were going with that sentence. I don't even know. I got stuck on the biggest thing. Um, Yeah, yeah, you would. The biggest thing. Don't we all wish for it? Okay, so. No, we all wish to get stuck on it. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, I'm going to take a sig of wine and compose myself. I feel like we've only had this, like, a quarter of a glass of wine. For fuck's sake, yeah. It's been a long time. We're. We're pent up, I guess. <laughs> uh, okay. So, as we do, we dive into which giants are associated with That's it. why we're here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, so, hundred-handed one. Yeah. Megan, are you ready for another tragic backstory? Oh, you know I love a good <laughs> sadness simulator. Throw it at oh me. Oh my gosh. Pull out the heartstrings. Who would have thought so many times in the giant special series? (laughs) All the tears. (laughs) So, the giants were once part of a large tribe of artisans who served the Archons. Are we okay with saying Archons or Archons? Archons are fine for me. Okay, Archons in Theros. The Archons were tyrants as rulers, though. So, the giants served the Archons and crafted, like, monuments, palaces, Big Burly could move the giant stones mm-hmm. um, and, like, statues and with refined skill. Like, think, like, like stone giant where it's intricate carvings and, like, very beautiful. Artistic, yeah. Yeah. And proud of their work, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. Much, much pride in their work. Even if they accepted that they were serving um, the Archons, mm-hmm. they were took pride in the work and that they were told to do. Hmm. Um. But the Archons, over time, became greedy, wanting, like, bigger, better, faster, stronger. So, bigger palaces, bigger statues. Mm -hmm. And then they decided to give the giants bolstering. It's like, if you're bigger, better, faster, stronger, you can build these things for me. Yeah, you can do the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um... So they performed dark rituals to draw on the power of ancient giants and transformed the giants um, into creatures with magical limbs and multiple limbs. And so what's wild is these limbs were manifested and attached, but circle like it as an orb around mm. the giant itself. How creepy. Yes. And it allowed and forced the giants then to work like faster because they had multiple limbs and harder. And so it wasn't a blessing for them, mm-hmm. but it worked. Fair enough. Not all transformed giants accepted that they would then have to work long, like harder and faster just because they had um, this ritual upon them and have all these multiple limbs. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of them um, fled and left to escape into the wilderness to get away from the Archons and the tyrant as tyrants. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, unfortunately, the Archon magic that was put upon them was not escapable, and so they became cursed. Yeah. <laughs> 
So these are what is called the hundred-handed ones. The curse had them live with endless will to create beautiful structures, statues, um, palaces, but no one to create for, Mm -hmm. and no one will ever appreciate or use their creations. So their great skill that they were essentially like bred for was now deemed to be nothing in the world that they lived in. That'd be an interesting thing to try and role play out. Like if your team rocked up to a palace that was built by a hundred handed one that was cursed. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you're in front of this giant thing and it's absolutely gorgeous, but you hate it. Yeah. You're, you are infused with this weird <laughs> sense that you hate what you were looking at. Yeah. Like how depressing would that be? <laughs> Yeah, and it could be a complete mind fuck for them to try and figure out, like, the campaign, <laughs> the players, yeah, to be like, but you hate it. Hmm. Seems familiar, something where you don't have control over how you remember things. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, I've never Adam. been in that situation before, Adam, you, da- you yeah. dickbag. Fuck you, Adam. <laughs> um, but not really, you're a great person, <laughs> yes, sorry. Yes, we love you still. Yay. But, yeah, so they kind of exiled themselves and then... Like, anything they created would never be acknowledged, and they could never... No one would ever hire them. Like, they were... Or they could not hire them. They would never be able to serve another Mm -hmm. at all. Um, So, I've seen this miniature as well, just online, and Mm -hmm. it's so cool. Mm -hmm. I would love to, like, actually get it and paint it, because, yeah, it's this, like, core giant. Of course, they're huge. And then these orbs of arms just surrounding it and circling it constantly yeah i think it would also be terrifying for an adventuring party to come along but it's again the sad story behind why they are the way they are yeah i can imagine does it make them aggressive like are they like sad that they're cursed um they are actually quite decently intelligent and have wisdom so i would say they would okay they would acknowledge that they are cursed and they would probably be super fucking sad about it. 100%. I would be sad about it. Yep. Yeah. Because they are incredibly talented artisans, like, and stonework is what they did. Um, and so what they would do in their banished lands, they would go to the outskirts. So you would find them, like, think they would go up into the, the like, high into the mountains to escape um, or the seaside cliffs. Yeah. Or even they Somewhere would... Somewhere they think they can't be found. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they would even find ancient, like, god temples or palaces that are, like, in ruins that mm-hmm. are, just aren't inhabited anymore. They would go there. Yeah. But then they would use their craft, even though they know no one will appreciate it and no one's telling them what to do. And so they would inscribe and create statues wherever they ended up residing. Yeah. And um, use it to tell their homeland story of why they became the one, the hundred-handed one. It's a beautiful story. For here, someone yeah. to come across. So again, you could have somebody come across ruins yeah. with... Just, it looks like this used to be a pillar, but one of the pillars has all of these carvings into it that look like it's a story. Yeah. And that's what a hundred hand one did since it came there and chose to reside there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I know. So sad. Um, but they would be really fun to play. <laughs> yeah. They're, again, just a bit of a spin, not what you would actually expect as a giant, the, the common, like, just lumbering like oh yep yeah um they are lawful neutral 
and they have a lot of HP because they're huge Mm -hmm. and uh, they can also move at 40 foot speed. So that tracks as well. But like, like as we discussed, it was like their stride is what gives them the speed, not necessarily that they're quick on their feet. Yes, exactly. Um, But they are one of the few giants we've talked about that actually have some immunities or um, conditioned immunities. Okay. Like, I don't know if we've really talked about immunities much at all. Not really, because a lot of them were very similar, where they're, like, immune to certain types. Like, all of them are usually immune to certain types or their element or what have you. So yeah, it just became monotonous. Like, there's nothing really new or refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the hundred-handed one is immune to being frightened, cannot be surprised. Um, it has a 120-foot dark vision. Dope. And basically, because it has a decently high wisdom, it has high passive perception. So it will probably see you before you see it. Well, yeah, I can't be, you basically can't surprise it or frighten it. It knows that you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, except, and it's huge. So, but I, no, it does not have the ability to like morph into stone or anything. Okay. Yeah. So it's still large, but yeah. Large and in charge. Yeah. And it only speaks giant. Oh, good. So uh, again, if one of the party speaks giant, this is absolutely when as a dm it's like please try to talk to it please try to talk to it yeah i think i think the last like four characters i've ever made for DD have all been able to speak giant and i don't know why (laughs) it rarely comes up but when it comes up it's super important it is yeah it doesn't have the highest ac just because as we've talked about a lot usually they only have their natural armor they don't wear armor yeah so it's only a 15 but with all the HP it has and really, really high strength and constitution, like way above 20. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a real big challenge to kill. Yeah. Um, and it does wield a longsword as weapons and rocks, as we always know. Thumbs up. Yeah. Um, it can and it will use multi-attack. And multiple arms, it will make four sword attacks or make two ranged spell attacks. Or spell attacks. Two ranged rock attacks. Yeet. Yeah. yeah so, you know, when its turn comes, it, it will it will rock. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Love it. Kill myself sometimes. Um, as a DM, I think you also want to keep in mind that, yeah, they don't really have a dump stat. They are, like, they have decent stats across the board. So, yeah, they're not, they're a lumbering, lumbering chaotic monster. Um, they are strong warriors that could potentially can be convinced to fight on your side mm-hmm. if there's a big battle com- coming up, which is what in, like, the history of Greek myths where you go and you find people to fight for you. Um, for example, these ones were imprisoned by Uranus in Tartarus, freed by Zeus, and used to help in the Battle of the Titans. Yeah. So if you speak giant and or if you have a big battle coming up that you need to bring in, like, reinforcements for... Bolster your fields, yeah. Yeah, like, if somebody hints that there is a, like a giant that's hidden in the mountains or on the seaside cliffs by an old um, palace ruin to go find it and convince it to help. Yeah, it's a good combat ally. It's like, yeah, Yeah. it's a good, like, side quest. I wonder how you could convince it to fight for you. Yeah, you would, uh, 
if if you could find out where it came from and you, you could build some sort of rapport with it on like you can't serve anyone but you can redeem yourself by yeah, <laughs> fighting for us or fighting against something that did them wrong or convince it that it would break its curse by helping you win this battle. I mean, yeah, like use your bard and just fucking lie to it too. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, yeah, you could go like the friends because I feel like these things will be very lonely. They've yeah. isolated themselves, they're now cursed, no one loves their work. These are like the most saddest depressed artists still yeah. in your life. And cuz they never meant to be on their own. They were in in, like, a guild of artisans working together. They have a community. Yeah. And they no longer have a community. Yeah. They're by themselves. They're sad. I feel like if you said, just travel with us, help us at our battle, and you could be our friend, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel like this is the friend that, um... Zenti would have definitely made friends with these Oh, folks, yeah. Which is Casey's current <laughs> character that is legitimately trying to build a community of humans, and she's surrounded herself with assholes. So. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, she would absolutely be like, you can be part of our party. Yeah. Like... Please, just don't kill any of us. Yeah. Um, We're here to play nice and be nice. Yeah. Right. Well, we did talk a little bit about combat, um, but how would you kind of use these in exploration, do you think, in a campaign? They could easily come across in different terrains, which is handy. And if you haven't really thrown any giants at your party, or if your party is higher level and you don't want to just throw, like, a lumbering giant just for the fun battle of it. Yeah. This one actually has some interesting context that and it might be a puzzle in order to actually find it. Yeah. So absolutely. I think that could be fun to do. Well yeah, because I can't imagine that it would want to interact with humans. So I was almost thinking that like, yeah, you hear about this abandoned like city. That's a gorgeous city, but no one lives there. It's mm-hmm. just abandoned. And you're like, why does no one live there? So your team goes and investigates this place. And I can imagine that it doesn't want to be found. So it's like hiding from you or like throwing rocks at you from a distance, yeah, right? Like just trying to, mm-hmm. trying to get you to go away, right? So I feel like the exploration piece is going to be how do we find this thing? Yeah. And like you won't even know that it's there or that they, that this whole city is here because of this thing. You're just exploring and trying to figure this stuff out. And to your point, if you did make a place setting where like the walls were carved with these stones of him telling his life mm-hmm. of how he got here and what his community used to look like and all these things, right? They would think that they came across a city where there's probably an army of these giants with hundreds of arms. <laughs> but really, it's just this dude and his family, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Totally. <laughs> And you could even throw it in where if if your party needs to um, be on the road for a long time and if they have a map and they do have to go through an abandoned area or on the map there's ruins, mm-hmm. maybe if the party decides to check out the ruins, they might come across them. But yeah. if they don't, be what may. Absolutely. But it could be an interesting thing that um, they might not expect or they might just expect like the classic kind of monsters that like like giant spiders or those things that reside in abandoned places yeah. but then there's like a decently intelligent creature in there I'm just hanging out That's just super sad doing such a super sad guy <laughs> just super sad bean uh but yeah i mean yeah. like they've got i think they're very flavorful like either there's a lot of util- there's a lot of things utilized for battle like obviously mm-hmm. they're they're good fighters the yeah. exploration piece is great because there's a lot of rich history there you can pull from any piece of it. They could be cursed. They might not even be cursed if you come across one. You might just come across one that's building something for its master and it's living a good life. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, that could be a good role play hook. Yeah. Like, not necessarily you coming across one that's been abandoned and hidden in a corner somewhere. You actually come across someone's kingdom and yeah. their entire kingdom has been built by these things. 
totally. So they're just riddled yeah. in the city, and they're not scary. They're just no. they're just running around building things for you, right? Yep. So you could go either direction. Yes, that's so true. I didn't even think about that. That would be fun too. Yeah. And like, if you wanted to talk to one of them, maybe they'll tell you the story of why they have all the arms that they do. But yeah. they're still un- they're still serving the Arkans. They're just yeah yeah. Just run around being happy as clowns. living their life. Yeah, living their life. So providing for their family. <laughs> yeah, and then we kind of switch a little bit. Um, the Another pretty major giant that is in Theros is uh, the Doomwake giant. Okay, this sounds great. This sounds promising. Yeah, Doom... Uh, yeah, what, what? What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> um, so... As with most, if not all, giants that we've discussed in this series, giants are, like, mostly connected to elements of the land. Yeah. You even mentioned already in this episode. Thank you. You're very welcome. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, storm, fire, frost, even, like, hill giants, like, there's always the connection to the earth or elemental aspect. But Theros is an exception. Um, The giants are manifested in the same way as gods. So, like, gods and heroes and other monsters. So, through dreams or through nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's truly believed within the inhabitants of Theros, it will manifest into existence. Yeah. And so, the Doomwake Giant is something that's been manifested from nightmares. I love it. I'm, I'm in on it. I like this. Tell me more. They are huge, and they are beings from Nyx. And I don't think we've really talked about this, and maybe we will in the future, but there's, like, a few different realms, and another one is Nyx. Mm-hmm. Um, they are given rise from fear of destruction amongst the mortals. Impending doom, I Megan! It. I love it. I'm about it. <laughs> and with enough terror and worry and concern about impending doom... The Doomwake Giant can manifest and then rage and rampage and go through just actually destroying villages and destroying towns. So they make it happen. Yeah. (laughs) That's like the whole like manifesting your own like, it's basically pulling from a human nature where like we, the things that we worry about usually come to pass because we're worrying about them and thinking about them. Therefore, they just naturally occur. Yeah. We help it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so they will rage, rampage, and roam to the edges of the world and end up becoming legends, or sometimes they will sometimes just disappear. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if they do probably enough damage or there is enough people that see it, they end up having, like, a recognition or, um they become a story from that region. Yeah. And then they might move on and do, like, <laughs> go on destroying. Or they might just end up leaving that town and then they go into the distant mountains or seek side cliffs and all of that. Yeah. Um, I need a vacation for my vacation. Yeah. Of yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they're, again, huge in size, but they are lawful evil. Love so, it. It, yeah, if you want to throw some just terrifying thing at your party, this could be really fun. Or you're in a village or you end up at a village and they have been, like, destroyed or partially destroyed by one of these. Could yep. be, like, that storyline. Or um, or you are in a town when this takes place when it's manifested and then suddenly you are trying to stop a doomwake giant from destroying the town. Yeah. 
Um, so similar to the 100 hand one, they have a decent HP pool, but not as much as the 100 hand one. Mm. Um, and the same lower H AC because they just have natural armor. Yeah. 40 foot speed. Uh, and strength is very, very high again, over 20. And again, immunities with this one, which is cool. And this is where I'm like, oh, my acrid days. This is from my acrid days. It's like, mm-hmm. ooh, okay. Immune to necrotic and poison damage. Nice. And conditional immunities to being frightened or poisoned. Nice. So those do not come up often in giants. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, they have magic resistance, advantage on saving throws against spells and other, ma- other magical effects. Again, something you probably wouldn't expect a giant to have. And so your magic users in the party might, well, be frustrated, but be like, oh, fuck. Like, I have to figure something else out. I am not helpful. Yeah. Well, is it it, it's not immune to non-magical weapons? No? Nope. Okay, good. Because that would be a big beefy one for a giant or a giant kin is the fact that it would be, if, if they were immune to, like, non-magical weapons. Yes. That yeah, suck. that would be really bad. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah, and it, again, only speaks giant. Yeah. Um, it has some pretty cool abilities that are specific to um, Aura of Erebos. Uh, in a 10-foot radius around it, if a creature starts its turn there, it must make a con save or take 3d6 necrotic damage. Mm. And it can't regain HP till, until the start of its next turn. Um, if successful, the creature is immune to that aura for 24 hours. Um, so this is also something interesting that we haven't seen much. We've seen it more in the higher ordning levels that might have like an aura or something that it can detect things or you can enter it before you even realize it yeah um but yeah so this one has that and it's necrotic damage which usually is very bad yeah uh it has multi-attack for slam attacks it doesn't actually use a specific weapon it just has its fist and it just goes bashing away it's an angry monk yeah yeah yep um, or it slam attacks, does bludgeoning damage and necrotic damage. Shit. Yeah. Uh, and it has a 15 foot reach. So, Fuck that. So you might see it doesn't actually have a weapon with it, but yeah. Did, did the hundred handed one have a, an extra reach? No. I'm checking. Hold on. Please hold. Oh, long sword, 15 foot reach. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. that one. So, well, no, like that makes me feel better about it. Cause yeah. I'd be like, that's kind of broken if like. The one hundred handed one that is known for many floating arms did not have a reach, but this motherfucker did. Yeah, you know what fair. I mean? yeah. So yeah, so with a long sword, the hundred handed one has the fifteen foot reach. Yeah. The Doomwake <clears throat> Giant just has it with its arms. Just with its meat mittens. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so no joke. Yeah, you might end up running away, to be honest. What's it, CR? Do you know? 15. This, this one's 11. 11. Okay, got yeah. you. And what else does it have? Oh, Noxious Gust. So, Doomwake Giants have the ability to exhale a blast of deadly mist, 60-foot line, 10 feet wide. Oh. Con saves for all that be had. Yeah. And on a failed save, it's 8d8 necrotic damage. And knock prone. So, fuck you up before you even know anything's going on. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. I think Supervet, I would like to see this mini. (laughs) I feel like like this is the kind of creature that would hiss at you. (laughs) 
you know? <laughs> yeah, it would give you, like, a warning. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like you walk into a dark room and you see the shiny eyes, and then it's like... Yeah. <laughs> Terror. Uh, yeah. Yes. Like, interesting, not anything like we've talked about before. They're really cool. Mm-hmm. I really, really like them. And if I can find a way, I would uh, put it in my campaign. Well, that being said... Like, because they get manifested, and then they just exist until they don't exist anymore until you kill them? Or, like, is it one of those things that goes away once its rage has been... I think we talked a little bit about that. Once its rage has been thwarted. I don't know. Yeah, the books just specify that it can fade away if it just goes into this. I feel like it might be one of those things where if it hits multiple towns or it does enough devastating damage, if people then have more nightmares about it, it will continue to exist. We'll say it's that way. Yeah, because, I mean, like, it could be, yeah, to your DM's discretion, obviously, of, like, how it it maintains itself in the world. Because I think it would also depend on what manifested it. Yeah. Right? Like, if it was just, um... So, like, you know, like, a little boy just lost his parents, he's orphaned, he's sad, and then kids beat him up, and then, then you know, this thing appears as, like, you know, everything is going to shit, nothing is going to get better, my life sucks, and then, you know, emo child's <laughs> nine, yep. 900,000. Impending doom. Impending doom. Manifests this thing, and then it, like, thwarts all of his enemies, and then it's kind of like, oh. Mm-hmm. Now, now, but then it will perpetuate, say, perpetual itself into, like, a cycle because then I feel like in this storyline specifically, they would end up killing all the, like, the maybe the bullies that beat him up or whatever. And then he gets mad and sad because he caused this to happen. Uh, and then oh. now he's like, oh my god, the town is going to hate me now. <laughs> and so then it just, it like, it continues to feed it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is how you end up with, like, in my mind, a big bad evil guy of a town. Yeah. Because you're just feeding into this doom and this, like, and it's just this continuous snowball of effect of, like, oh, I've killed my bullies. Now the town hates me. I'm going to burn the town down. Now the town has been burnt down. Where yeah. do I live? I'm going to die alone. <laughs> you start traveling. And, like, there's this traveling doom thing. Yep. That was just created by this little boy and his sadness. You know what I Love mean? Love it. It reminds me of the Sorrow Swarm that, like, we've been having to encounter because of Adam in our campaign, which anyone who doesn't know this, what the Sorrow Swarm are, we did do an episode on them. But it's basically five evil things that are based on negative emotion, right? There's, like, the lonely, the lost, mm-hmm. all of them, that kind of thing. Like, so it reminds me of those, because they only manifest when those emotions are at high stakes. Right. But the fact that this is happening in Theros, it's very thematic to Theros, because things that you consider and manifest actually, like, they become Absolutely. the Absolutely, yeah. Right? And this is the the exact worst side of that. Yeah. one of these appear, right? Yeah. And um, I imagine it just, like, starting to... Like say if it it in your story arc, which is massively tragic, and I love it. It's just Batman. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> wow, I thought you were just like wow, Megan. No, it was just Batman. It just <laughs> took away the bats. <laughs> oh my god. Um. I can just imagine, like, in the house, just, like, the little boy waking up to, like, rumbling outside, and then, like, it just manifests, like, outside its house, and mm-hmm. just, like, looks in the window at the little boy, and then, and then just, like, stomps away down the, down the street. I like the idea that it grows. <laughs> so, like, like, he starts getting, like, I can imagine being a little boy, and, like, maybe his mother passes away, and he starts getting a little depressed and sad. He starts worrying about his father. Mm-hmm. And then, like, this little, little creature appears to him. Mm-hmm. And it's just with him. And, and he thinks that it's a comfort. Like a little, like a stuffed animal Ooh, or a pet yeah. that's now following him around, right? But nobody else can see it. 
like like a like a Jeremy, like a Jer- <laughs> like a Jeremy Render, um, or like what are, what are those fucking Furbies? Mm-hmm. Imagine like a like a fucked up looking Furby that you're just carrying around, and then like then the father passes, and then like it grows, mm-hmm. and then like he gets bullied at school, it grows, yeah, and then all of a sudden his bullies start dying because it's murdering his bullies, and then he's like, this is my fault, and it grows, yeah, and then by the time he takes over the town, it's now this giant. Oh like God. demon thing yeah right? like in a world where things are manifested it's like it's just it just breeds the idea that things are evil that are going to be created by people yeah like we would create the worst shit in the world yeah because you always dream the worst and imagine the worst yeah and worst case scenario come to fruition right Anyways. I love it. And so I, dark, Megan. But, like, I would also love the idea of, like, if you're talking about the exploration piece of it as well, I can imagine that your team is rocking up to this town for the first time. It's a bumbling, bustling town, and you come across this little boy, but, like, your wizard or, like, your magical your magical characters can see this creature that uh-huh. no one else has seen. Yeah. And then, so you talk to this little boy, and he's like, oh, you can see him. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, we can, but you don't think anything of it. You go about your business. You go to your... Thing you leave the town, you go do a thing, you be the heroes, and then you come back, and the town is destroyed, and all that's standing there is a little boy and this giant fucking beast. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, oh. Anyway. Yeah, I love it. So good. Yeah. Any other final thoughts on those two? Uh, they. I thought they were just refreshing. Like now that we're digging into like sidebar giants, sidebar giants. <laughs> like, yep, they got some unique quirks. Got some really intimidating immunities and abilities that Again, beefier right yep yeah uh yeah i think really fun to play around with and uh just don't tpk your your party with it <laughs> or tpk them you know whatever kind of dm you want to be but yeah. who are we to judge <laughs> <laughs> do it do it do your thing do your thing yeah all right well let's let's take a sip and then i'm gonna dive into something new <gasps> cheers now i've been doing good mm-hmm. and now for something completely different and yet similar we're going to talk about Ravnica. Ravnica! So, there are quite a few giants in one of the other campaign settings um, that is kind of indicative to Magic the Gathering, which is Ravnica. But one kind of stands out from the others um, that's based on pure power and influence. But, but first, you kind of need to little, understand a little bit about him and how he came about to be kind of like a giant and not like a creature. But before I do that, I'm going to talk a little bit about what Ravnica <laughs> is. Because those of you who don't know what Ravnica is, it's... Bit of a different monster, to say. So, some are familiar with the fact that Ravana is combined with the lore of Magic the Gathering. Is it a city that kind of spans the entirety of the real world? Like, it's a giant, just the city that covers the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is in shambles. <laughs> uh, and within the city proper, there are ten specific districts fighting for power. Um, each district has a distinct operation within the city and are continuously at odds and war with each other. So in my mind, that immediately screamed ordaining to me. Right. But in a negative way. Yeah. Right. Um, there was once peace uh, when a guild pact was signed, but of course, as quickly as it came, it was thwarted and war and struggle for power and all those things ensued once again. And so, of course, this makes a wonderful setting for all things D&D, monsters, Mm-hmm. building armies, having purpose. And again, like, the, the Ten Districts really did scream ordaining to me. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I... <laughs> We've had some of our player characters in our campaign being from Ravnica, and they've been quirky and, like, bizarre. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know who you are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know who, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> 
Dan, Dave, and Charlie. Uh, and it's... Oh, yeah, and Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting backstories, complex. I don't know anything about Ravnica. I am so excited to learn more now. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it cr- can create some really interesting backstories. Yeah, absolutely. So then to kind of get back into, like, what I'm talking about for what kind of ties into Giants. So one of the district factions is called the, the Gruul Clans. Um, and these are the raiders of the city. They don't wish to, like, live within the city's confinements. So they tend to live more on the outskirts. And then they're they're your raiders and your pillagers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they take their hordes back to whatever, like, little home city they have. They've, they've built for themselves, basically. Um, where they store all the riches and things. So there are six main clans within the Gruul clans. But there are lots of smaller ones, of course, that roam around as well. Um, but I kind of wanted to focus um, to... <laughs> Borborigmoros. <laughs> I was waiting for you to. <laughs> We're gonna call him Boroboro. <laughs> it's like, well, fuck well, me. Fuck me. Um, he is a, so basically Boroboro is the leader of the Tree Clan, which is the largest grouping. He does, however, command respect from like basically all Gruels um, due to his strength and ability to thwart any enemy that comes across him, because they do represent similar to other. Um, Giant, like, clans and communities, they consider strength to be mm-hmm. the number one, right? <clears throat> right. Um, so even though he, there's tons and tons of these clans, he's number one. <clears throat> he is a cyclops, which gives him a heat, which gives him size and stature like a giant. He is considered to be huge, a huge creature that is uh, chaotic neutral. Uh, he has a neutral arm, uh, natural armor of 14, so similar thing, he doesn't mm-hmm. wear armor. Um, but is accompanied by a strength and con of plus seven and weirdly, but accurately a wisdom and charisma of plus three. Interesting. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I imagine him now being like this super strong, like super charismatic, full of himself piece of shit, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like strolling out from his army and rolling right up to whatever he's combating. Oh yeah. Like waving his arms around like the whole nine yard, like the whole, like he would have like a, like an intro every time he walks into a room, you know? Like one of those, one of those tit waffles. Um, <laughs> he is also skilled in athletics, insight, and survival, and is resistant to poisons and psychic damage. Nice. And immune to being charmed and frightened. Nice. So you can't really scare this person, this giant, the cyclops, the cyclops yeah. giant person. Yeah. Um, he has a tremor sense as well as a passive perception of 13. So he will see you coming. So tremor sense is basically you could feel it in the ground. You can feel it in my bones. Right. Right. Um, he has legendary resistances, which allow him to change a failed save roll into a success. Um, he does have poor depth perception, though, so he has disadvantage on attacking things that are 30 feet away from him. <laughs> That's a new one. Isn't it weird? Yeah. To give them, like, a weakness. Yeah. Right? But I thought that was very, like, I like how they would go thematically with them. Like, yeah, they, they can't see distance. They need glasses. So, and because he doesn't have his glasses... He can only hit you from 30 feet. Otherwise, it'll be with disadvantage. Right. So, he, But then with the charisma, he'll just go, you there, and like just demand someone else. <laughs> you! You hit that blurry thing out there. <laughs> what is that blob? <laughs> but I think that's hilarious, is that they can sense you coming from miles and miles away. Yeah. But yeah. it's just like, until they become 30 feet in front of you, like, oh, there you are. <laughs> that's what you look like. How great for me. Oh, man. Um, they are a siege monster, so they deal double damage to structures and objects. Mm. So they break shit. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what this one's strolling up to, like, as, like, I know we're talking Ravnica and Theros, two different worlds, but I think it would be hilarious for them to destroy the city of a 100-handed one. 
Oh my god. <laughs> No, wait, all my work. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, And he does have a multi-attack, so he can use his frightful um, presence and and attack twice. So friends uh, just makes it so that folks within 60 feet of him um, have to make a DC 17 wisdom save or be frightened of him, which I also think is hilarious because, again, he can barely see you within 30 feet. But it's 60 foot for that. Yeah, because you don't have to see them. He just has to know you're there. Well, yeah. High yeah. charisma. Yeah, he just like... looks scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, for his attacks, he does use a maul for a weapon. Um, and he can also stomp, and he throws rocks. As you do. But if you throw it more than 30 feet, it's with disadvantage. <laughs> I have to keep saying this over and over again. Uh, he does have some hefty legendary actions as well. Uh, he can make three legendary actions. Um, only one can be done at a time and must take place after another creature's turn. Right. So he can do it any time during the battle, but it just has to be the end of someone's turn. So it can't be used as a reaction or in the middle of someone's turn. Um, he can attack for the cost of one. He can use bellow at the cost of two. This just frightens creatures basically with his maniacal laughter, which I think is hilarious to imagine. <laughs> uh, which is a DC 17 saving throw. He can also use Wide Birth, which is a cost of three, which allows him to move half his speed, which is 40, so 20 feet. And each time he enters the space of a creature, uh, it has to do a DC 21 deck save. Um, And if they save, they're pushed five feet. But if they fail, it gets to use its stomp ability and is knocked prone. Oh, shit. So it moves 20 feet and stomps anyone that it pushes through. Nice. So it's like a tactic he would have to use as a group would be to be like surrounded, but don't stand too close to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to say, is this the first one that has legendary actions? One of. Like one. there's a, there's a few within the books like sprinkled around. But this right. is one of the first ones that we have talked, talked about, about that I think has like full on legendary actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking the DC 17 was pretty high and then 21. Yeah. Fuck yeah. off. But- yeah. You're not... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but you guys are not that good. You will likely be stomped. Yeah. Ugh. I'm just going to look up his challenge rating because I don't, I don't actually remember what it was. Uh, Boroboros. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a few more syllables in there. It's no big deal. <laughs> you can come at me in the comments. I'm glad one. you got that name to say because I butcher names, as you know. How dare you? I'm topping up your wine. Thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> I like how it doesn't even understand what my misspelled version of this word is. <laughs> no, I don't want to go to Bora Bora. I'm not going to Bora Bora. <laughs> trying to figure out about this evil guy here. Um, challenge rating is 18. Oh. Yeah. 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 So he's a hefty boy. Yeah. yeah passive perception 13, tremor <clears throat> sense of 60 feet. Like that's, yeah. Athletics are plus 13, insight plus 9, survival plus 9. Like they're, oh. well, and by there, I mean he. Like he is a... a an entity in Ravnica, right? Like, so it's not like you're gonna, it's not like, well, like the hundred handed ones where you can come up, you can come up to a horde of these. Yeah. This is your mob boss, big bad evil guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that being said, Casey, how would you use this, like, like for exploration or role play? Like, what would you? Okay, great segue. Um, go find some hundred handed ones to gang up on it. Oh my God. That's like <laughs> fist to cuffs. Just like. Oh, my Atlanta. Yeah. You need some backup. Yeah. Like, you you cannot go against... Well, yeah. DC 18, like, not many campaigns even get to <laughs> the level that can defeat this. Yeah. Even with six people or eight 
in your party. Yeah. You need some, you need some backup. I know. And like when I think about the fact that it's like <clears throat> thinking of Ragnica as a place and thinking that they have the 10 different districts that all do different things, mm-hmm. I feel like these would be some of like your muscle. Like you would hire people from Gruul to help you with like your mob hit or like to yes. help you with getting rid of a section of the city that you no longer want to be there or someone's moving in on your territory. How do you get them out? Right. Yeah. Like you're just merchants. How do you get these something out of your the, your part of town you hire these thugs right yeah like you need well you need to be on their side or like you need to get a, an insane amount of backup to go against them yeah like from the other districts as well like see if you can like we need this advantage let's just try and see if we can carve out this piece of their district yeah and then go up against for them. ourselves yeah. yeah and maybe even hope that Bora Bora doesn't come come out but then it does <laughs> I would it's love like... to throw this into a campaign and then no one can pronounce his name so it's just a bunch of people calling him Bora Bora and he's just like fuck you guys yes it's not my name or someone or... just calls him BB <laughs> No, that's not my name. Or you need to skirt through to try not to catch his eye. Yeah. And so you're moving through his um, district or moving through where he was last seen. Yeah. And it's, (laughs) I get, go back to like Lord of the Rings where they're just trying to like quietly go through the the mountains, under the mountain. And then it's like, oh, let's just rest here. And then like Pippin knocking the the metal and the skeleton down the well so it's just like we need we do not need to gain the attention of borborg no (laughs) and and then you know then you have your like armored to fuck cleric or something who rolls a, a horrible stealth and it's like yeah no yeah, yeah, we're done here. Yeah, because it will take nothing because he will see you before you see it. Yeah, so that could be cool. Yeah, no, and I love the idea. Like, if we're talking about like the role playing aspect of it too, like if you're a DM, you have to role play BB. Um, <laughs> I I enjoy the fact that he scares people with maniacal laughter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like he's one of those super crazed. Like, loves what he does. Mm-hmm. Loves the fact that he's feared. Super arrogant and full of himself because he's wise enough to know he can get away with it. A lot of charisma, you yeah. know? So, like, and people, like, it's the thing where he tells a joke and no one laughs and he just stares at people and then all of a sudden everybody starts laughing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like he has that kind of energy, like, as a leader to me. Yeah. So, I would love to role, I would love to just role play a lead character like that. It would be a lot of fun. Yes. And if you were playing, if you were DMing it and you were rolling for it, you'd be like, oh, like, the party, like, that's 80 feet away. Not even. No. 40 feet away. You are 40 feet away. And then as a DM, you're like, for fuck's sake, I gotta roll with disadvantage. And you're like, shit. It's like, God damn it. Yeah, but they don't know why you're rolling two dice. Yes! They probably think it's with advantage. 100%. They would see you pick up two dice and be like, oh, well, fuck you. Yeah. It's like, and you're like, yeah. You know. <laughs> exactly. But really, you're just blind as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. So good. Awesome. All right. Well, any final thoughts before we kind of wrap up on this intro to our new season of Giant Talk? I mean, how exciting. What a good way to start. (laughs) So many good giants, so many new twists, and yeah, delving into the realm that is just the unique and sidebar (laughs) 
because I like the sidebar giants. The sidebar giants? Yeah. I'm yeah. very excited. And I am so happy to be back hanging out with you and talking about all of this. And there's so much more exciting stuff to come. Yeah. I'm glad that everybody enjoyed season one as much as they did. I think season two is going to yes. offer some some interesting flavor points to play through. Like yeah. before we talked a lot about the big generic. Anyone who didn't watch or listen to season one, go back and do so. We, we went through a lot of the original, just like the Ordning Giants the yeah. classics kind of give you like how to role play through each one and each type and where you might run into them. The whole nine yards, the kit and the caboodle. And now we're getting into the nitty gritty, the fun things, yeah. the things that come with a lot of inspiration, a lot of rich history and background. So um, yeah. buckle up and get ready, I think. Woo-hoo. But that is all for this giant winter special episode on mythic- mythical giants. Stay tuned next week and we will head into an urban setting and see what giants can be lurking around in a cityscape. Thanks for listening to this special episode of It's a Mimic Podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com. And if you'd like to discuss what you've heard here today, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at r slash it's a mimic. For other episodes on other kinds of monsters, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic where you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Especially I'm so happy. Especially with us. <laughs> <laughs>